George went on a vacation, and he took most of his family with him, and they went to the Middle East to uh, to visit. And part of the family that went included his mother-in-law. And during their vacation, and while they were visiting in Jerusalem, George's mother-in-law passed away. She died. With a death certificate in hand, George went to the American consulate office to make arrangements to send the body back to the States for proper burial. The council, after hearing of the death of the mother-in-law, told George, My friend, the sending of a body back to the States for burial is very, very expensive. It could cost you as much as $5,000. The council continued, In most of these cases, the person responsible for the remains normally decides to bury the body here. This would only cost $150. So George thinks about this for some time and answers the consul, I don't care how much it will cost to send the body back. That's what I want to do. The consul, after hearing this, says, You must have loved your mother-in-law very much considering the difference in price between $5,000 and $150. No, it's not that, says George. You see, I know of a case many, many years ago of a person that was buried here in Jerusalem. And on the third day, he was resurrected. Consequently, I do not want to take that chance. George believed in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it can be risky to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I, I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to stand together and read God's Word. So take your device or your Bible. Stand with me, would you please? Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 1. And it says this. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looked in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. God, we bow before you today. And Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear this as though for the first time. Lord, I'm afraid that we have become too callous to the message. We have almost let it become idle words and fables instead of the fact that Jesus lived, He died, He rose from the dead. Lord, I pray that today that you would take a scalpel, so to speak, and just cut the layers of our hearts that have become too hard. And that, Lord, we will once again hear these words and we will rejoice in the fact 
that we do not serve a Savior who is dead, but one who is risen. And the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwells us. Lord, I pray that these facts will become reality in our spirit and that we will be forever changed because of it and that we will be willing to go and to tell the rest the story of Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Man, it's so good to see you today. I pray that you're... Resurrection Sunday has started well. I know many of you have family activities, and God has given us a beautiful day, and, and we just rejoice in it. And uh wasn't Friday night special, man. It was a very special time in here as we celebrated Good Friday together, and it was, a, it was just a great time. I, I, I'm going to be candidly honest. I struggled a little bit with the message today. Not, not uh, the story itself of Jesus raising from the dead. That ought to get you stoked as it is. But I, I tell you, where it says in the passage there, why do you seek the living among the dead? You know, people are wanting so bad today to find the truth of hope and life and that God exists and that he loves them and he offers forgiveness and purpose. They're seeing all those things. They want all those things. But yet they do not darken the door of what we call church and congregational worship they, they don't come. And they're for some reason that the attraction of Jesus has become a distraction for us to other people. And I wonder sometimes, hear me out, because I am part of us, if people are not looking for the living among the dead. And we are not fully displaying the love of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs him. And so I was wrestling this week. I'm thinking, Lord, are we just going to get up and talk about the greatest event in all of history that you invaded earth and that you rose from the dead and it's just going to fall on deaf ears and it's not going to make a difference to our neighbors or our classmates or anybody else. So I, I wrestled with this and I'm still wrestling. I, I mean, I got through the first service wrestling because I believe God I I believe God just wants to pour himself out in such a way, not for our sakes, but for the sake of his kingdom and what he wants to do. So that we can make a difference out in a world that desperately wants to know him. And so, but we're in the middle of a series called Mountaintops. And if you've not been here, let me just kind of say that, that throughout the scriptures, we see how God used mountaintop moments to change people. You know, there is a, a statement around here at the University of Texas that would, what starts at Texas, University of Texas, what? Changes the world, right? That's the statement. It's a great motto. I love it. And uh, I, I'm going to twist it a little bit today and, says, and tell you that what happens on the mountains changes the world. Today we're going to be talking about Mount Calvary and uh, what happened on this Mount Calvary. I'll explain more today to you about that in a minute, moment. But let me just kind of dwell on this, what happens on mountains changes the world. You know, it snows on the top of mountains, and you're able to go up there and ski and enjoy. But you know, it's the runoff of that snow and the melting of that snow that makes life happen down below the mountains. Have the streams, the irrigation, these kind of things happen. And we see that happens. 
The timber that grows at the top of the mountain is cut down and brought down from the mountain so it provides housing and lodging and buildings for for people that are that are below. We see that that also that the winds that happen so much on the mountain peaks when there's wind turbines put up there that store the energy that put it down the mountain. What happens on the top of the mountain changes what happens below. We looked at Abraham and Isaac a few weeks ago that God told Abraham to go up Mount Moriah and to offer his son as a burnt offering unto the Lord. And we talked about how that, that what happened on that mountain, we, we see Abraham, who already was a man of faith, became a, even a greater man of faith and took that into the world right below. But today we're going to, I want to talk about what we celebrated and we thought about on Friday night, Mount Calvary. Now, you're thinking, what is Calvary? I was, I was a kid, you know. I grew up watching TV and especially the westerns. And when things would uh, get in, in uh, it looked like the the moment that everything was going to go down for whoever was there, they were being attacked or whatever. All of a sudden, what would happen? The cavalry would come riding in. So I thought, man, that's what the cavalry is. The cavalry comes riding in. You know, that's what God did. He came riding in when we desperately needed Him the most. But cavalry is actually the Latin word for uh, skull. And uh, the, the biblical name is also Golgotha. It's the place where Jesus was crucified at. Now, if you go to Israel today, and I, I love to take groups to Israel. Maybe in a couple of years we'll go back. But we went back in October with a group. And uh, I'm once again reminded of, of things. Now, you can't find everything, but of a guy by the name of Charles Gordon in 1867, he unearthed an area, he found an area, and he unearthed it and everything. And they thought, maybe this was the skull, because you see the traditional site they have is what's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You can't even get an idea, but imagine going back 2,000 years anyway, you're not going to know the exact place. We would worship it if we did, and we shouldn't do that. And uh, But Charles Gordon found a place. I want to show you the picture you that went, went with us to Israel will recognize this. He was looking out, and you see the two eye sockets uh, kind of off to the right there in the nose. And so he was thinking, why could this not be it? Why could this not be? And it, who knows? Maybe, maybe it was. And, and right below that, there's a garden area that you can go and go through. And in that garden area, they unearthed this. Go ahead and go to the next picture. They unearthed a tomb that actually was down there. And uh, so when you go to Israel, we love to end the trip in going to the garden tomb area because we do communion there. We sing. We just you get to go into that tomb and you just get to imagine that that he is not here. He is risen. He It's empty. And you're just reminded of those very things. But here's the deal about Golgotha or Mount Calvary where Jesus was crucified. There's some things that I want you just to grasp about it, okay? We're not going to live. We're going to, we're going to believe that what happened on that mountain, Mount Calvary, changed the world, and it's going to take us through the resurrection. But what happened is, is that when somebody was crucified, it was such a gruesome thing that it was considered a curse, and they would not do it within the city. They would do it outside the city walls, and this was actually outside the city walls. That's what Gordon said. How? Maybe it is. The other thing is, is it would be on a major thoroughfare, coming into the city so that when somebody looked up and they see somebody hanging on a cross, they're thinking, I don't want to do whatever that person did. It was a deterrent, and they did it on a major road so that people would see that. It was also a place called 
Golgotha was called the hill of the skulls. And maybe it was because it looked like a skull. Maybe it was because there was bones there. I don't know. But, but there was some kind of deterrent. Once you saw that, it was a, it was a display that you could not get out of your head. And that's what happened on Mount Calvary with Jesus. But there was, I want to look at, at something about Calvary right quick, what happened on that mountain. And it all involves Jesus' suffering. But if we're going to understand the resurrection, we've got to understand the suffering right quick. The first thing is, is there was physical suffering. Many of you have seen the Passion of the Christ. You, you've seen other depictions of what that, uh, what that uh, crucifixion may have looked like. Um, many people wonder if there was more impaling. I mean, it was, it was a terrible physical suffering that took place. But look at what Jesus went through right quick. First of all, he was exhausted. He'd been up all night going through these mock trials. He was, um, he was beaten to the point of almost death. We know that with the lashes he took, ripping open his uh, flesh. He was, uh, he was mocked by putting a crown of thorns on his head. He was commanded to carry the cross or the cross beam maybe all the way from the city, all the way outside the wall to this place where he would have been crucified. He, he was laid out and they took nails and they impaled him through the, probably through the wrist so that the bones could hold him up and through his feet. He was put up there with his feet and uh, his legs bent so that he could raise up to get any breath that possibly could be there. And uh, this is why when we, we read Friday night that they broke the legs of the other uh, prisoners that were up there with him, those that were crucified, so that you could no longer raise up to get breath. Imagine, imagine in your mind's eye that every time he would raise up to get a breath, that clotting blood on his back would once again rip open and the pain would be immense. The fire of the nerves in your arm just trying to hold your body up and he's trying to come up can't even get breath. In fact, many would just die of asphyxiation, couldn't get any breath, and they would just literally drown in what would happen. That's the physical suffering. But you know, there was more suffering that took place. You think that's enough, but just imagine the emotional suffering that Jesus went through. Imagine that those that you had chosen, that you were closest to, had abandoned you all of a sudden. You were completely isolated. You could look down and see your mom, yes, and you saw John there, one of your followers. But basically, where were they? Where were they to rise up? They were not. They abandoned him. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was uh, spit upon. Uh, and to be hanging there and you're looking down and what you see is these Roman soldiers just doing their nine to five job and they're gambling for your only thing that you own, which was your garment that you were wearing. You were humiliated. You were, you were uh, yelled at. The people that were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord by the week's end are yelling, crucify him. Everybody had turned against him. He is spit upon the emotional pain is intense that is there. And I know we looked at the Garden of Gethsemane last week where he, he was such intense that the sweat drops began to drop like blood from his brow. And this is the emotional. It was physical. It was emotional. But I want you to know it was very spiritual. It was very spiritual, the suffering that Jesus went through. We saw the intensity of the garden. 
You know, God, if there's any other way than going to the cross, let it happen. But if not, then your will be done. And And the scriptures allude to the fact that while he was hanging on the cross, that the father actually abandoned the son. And he was left there all alone. In fact, the scripture says that, uh, that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? That's what he cries out, my God. And you're thinking, well, he's just crying that out because of agony. No. Jesus in the flesh never referred to his father as my God. It was always father, the intimacy of the relationship. Now he felt totally abandoned at that moment. And then what happens, though, I love this. In a few moments, he's going to say this. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. You see how the restoration and the emotions were so intense that he was going through. So it was a physical suffering. It was an emotional suffering. It was a spiritual suffering. Remember what I said, what happens on the mountain changes the world. Three days later, these women come to the tomb, early morning, dark, daybreak. They come and they see that this two-ton stone had been rolled away from the opening and Jesus was not there. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. But you know, I believe that the resurrection was physical, it was emotional, and it was spiritual. It was physical in the fact that what what the Lord did is He came and He gave, one day He's going to give us new bodies. These bodies are decaying. I look in the mirror every day and I see the decay there that's there. And uh, we take care of them. He, we, and God gave them to us as tools. Sometimes He chooses to heal. Sometimes He chooses just to use you in your infirmity. He's always at work in these bodies. But one day, he's going to give you a new body. And uh, it was interesting over the last two Sundays to, uh, to preach and then go to hospital rooms and to watch one Sunday Laura Hendrickson go to be with the Lord. And then last Sunday, Carrie Allison to go be with the Lord. Two godly women. And to see when the Spirit departed, that was just a shell. But I know that God is giving new bodies. And part of that promise comes from the fact that Jesus resurrected. And someday he's going to have new bodies for us. The resurrection brought that. But not only did it bring physical blessing, it brought emotional blessing. I love this. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Many of us want the peace of God. We want peace of God. We want peace in the midst of all of our circumstances We want the peace of God. I want you to know you will not have the peace of God till you have peace with God. Because you see, because of our sin, because of our brokenness, we have alienated ourselves from God. We have become enemies of God because of what we have chosen in our sinful nature. And until we're going to experience the peace of God, there needs to be peace with God. And let me tell you, the resurrection lets me know that the last enemy defeated was death. And what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection, he opened up the door so that I can have peace with God. But then with peace with God comes the peace of God. It doesn't mean the circumstances were normally changed. It just means that we change in the midst of our circumstances. And we have the peace of God. Not only that, but we have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. These are not of the flesh. These are of the spirit. And if Jesus did raise from the dead, then these are available to us. And hear this. And this is what's incredible. We have his presence with us. Man, just think. I know many of you today, you're thinking, Mark, physically I'm fine. But emotionally, I am a basket case wreck. I want you to know the resurrection lets me know that there's an emotional blessing that is there for you. But thirdly, there is a spiritual blessing that comes out of the, the resurrection. And the spiritual, the spiritual blessing, we know that we have eternal life through Christ. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and to have it the fullest eternal life. Not life everlasting that's just going on chronologically forever. Can you imagine if you just had to live forever like we exist now? I don't like it. But eternal life means that there's a quality, a difference in the way I live. Also, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that anyone is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If Jesus did raise from the dead, then we are new creations in Him that call upon His name. That means new. The old is gone. Just think of that. The old stuff is gone. Not going to be held against us anymore. And then He has given us His very Holy Spirit to reside inside of us. I love what Romans 8, 9 through 11 says. It'll be on the screen so you can see it. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's given you his very spirit. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwells you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, many times we say, I don't want that. I don't want that. But it's a fact, the truth, that you can't even come to him unless the Holy Spirit draws you. And what happens is a transformation. One of the biggest transformations ever happened to a guy named Simon Peter, who was a follower of Jesus. Simon, the best way I can describe him may be, in my mind's eye, he was type A, driven, uh, bullish of a guy, willing to go forward, attack you know, the wind as needed, uh, or like Don Quixote, attack every uh, windmill that's out there. I think that's the way he was driven. And he told Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always be there. And Jesus took him aside and said, listen, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Jesus said, even if others depart, I will not. Peter said that. And what happened was, as you know, the rest of the story, if you've read the Gospels, is that Peter was he backed off when a little servant girl even asked him if he was a follower of Jesus. He totally dissed Jesus. He dismissed and, and what I, one of the most penetrating scriptures is in Luke where it says that after Peter denied Jesus, he, what he did was it said he wept bitterly after he saw Jesus eye to eye. Can you imagine that experience? 
But what we do know is that Peter was so transformed when the Holy Spirit of God came on him that in Acts chapter 2, he stood up and he began to teach. He began to preach. And basically what he told this group of people who had gathered, and it was a large group because 3,000 of them were going to get saved that day, he says this. He says, you killed Jesus. You killed him. And I want you to know that not only did you kill him, but he is alive today. Now, that would freak me out, man. Especially if I was part of that crowd that was saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And somebody stands up and says, listen, you crucified him, you killed him, but he's alive today. Listen, I have never done a a bad enough crime to get me incarcerated, uh, but... If I were to know I did something against somebody that was horrific like that, and I'm thinking that they're dead, and somebody comes and tells me, said, oh, by the way, they're alive, and you're going to stand before them someday, that would freak me out. And that's exactly what happened to these people, because it goes on to say in the Scriptures, it says they were cut to the heart. And they say, what must we do? And he says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. They were cut to the heart. And this is what one other verse. Let me let me get one other verse out of there. I love this. It says in the scriptures, it says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. It says for you and your children and for those who are far off. I'm the far off. What Jesus did, he did for me. But it was also my sin that put him on the cross. And I want you to know, folks, one day we're going to stand before him. I want to stand before him as his child and not as his enemy. But transformation is weird. I uh, I know I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it's last week, about the cocoon, how, how the caterpillar makes a cocoon and this kind of stuff. Well, my curiosity kind of came up and it, it kind of echoed to me. What really happens to a caterpillar when he goes into a cocoon? I was just curious. And uh, because that's a weird thing to know. Well, I got the reading, and if you read, you're going to find some stuff out. What happens is, is the caterpillar actually gets in this cocoon, and literally from the inside out, he starts eating himself. And he becomes a ooze in the midst of this cocoon. And what happens is, is these cells that are life begin to rebuild themselves, And this oozy mess now becomes a butterfly. And what happens after the length of time is that either the cocoon gets thin or the butterfly works his way out of there. And here comes out this beautiful butterfly out of the ooze. And literally, the wings are crystallized waste that come for the butterfly to make him beautiful. And I'm thinking, that's gross. But you know the good news is in transformation, God takes your messy waste and he makes something beautiful. Only God can do that. And that's what he does through his Holy Spirit. He takes the mess that we have and he turns it into something beautiful. Two questions I want to ask you today. The first question is simply this. What has died in your life that needs to be resurrected? 
I mean, what has died? A dream? A hope? A calling? A marriage? A relationship? What has died in your life that's left a big old hole there? I mean, uh, maybe somebody said, hey, you're not going to mount anything. You're no good at anything. And you bought into that lie. And you let hopes and dreams and callings die away. What is it in your life? Maybe... Maybe God doesn't want to resurrect that dream as much as He wants to resurrect you in the midst of your circumstances. And quit giving in to those dead dreams. Quit giving in to those dead hopes. Let His Spirit ignite you afresh so that there is a resurrection in you that gives Him honor. Because you've bought into a lie. I want you to know that God is still in the resurrection business. He's still in that today. Some of you need to know that because you've bought into a lie. You've let dreams die. You've let callings die. God has called you to specific things and you think, I blew it. I'm too bad. No, you're not. God wants to resurrect that in you. That's question number one. That would be enough for you to chew on, to cry out to God, to say, God, resurrect within me. But here's the second one. And this I have to ask myself all the time. Are you fleshing out what God wants to live out? In other words, are you fleshing out all your life, doing it with your own strength when God wants to do it through you? Oh man, you're doing religious activity. You're doing good parenting. Your your marriage is, is going. You're working hard. You're doing certain things. But yet, inside you're thinking, I am burned out, drying out toast. I am not receiving the joy of the Lord in what I'm doing. To me, that would be a good sign that you're fleshing out what God intended to live out through you. And maybe today, through once again realizing the resurrection that Jesus not only came to give me eternal life in heaven someday, but He came to restore me in the physical capacity, in the emotional capacity, in the spiritual capacity, to give Him honor and glory, that I exist for His glory and His purpose alone. That ultimately, when my my life is said and done, and and it seems like I'm doing more and more funerals, but as, as said and done, You write your obituary, and I'm up reading obituaries of great people. What do I want to be remembered for? That I built this, that I did this, that I succeeded at this, that I got this award? Or ultimately, it boils down to this. I was created for His glory alone to please Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God, am I a man of faith? What needs to be resurrected in you? And what are you fleshing out instead of letting His Spirit live out? Listen, the resurrection power is true. And He wants to bestow it upon you and you to surrender to Him. That's how we were meant to live life. Philippians 3.18, we like to quote that all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Bumper stickers, t-shirts, sports teams. I can do all things through Christ. We don't have a clue what that really means. Because Paul had just said, I can live with much, I can live with little. I've learned to be content in all things. 
but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, it's not changing and making your life just hunky-dory so that everything is perfect. It's Him, Him, you being content in Him alone by His Spirit. I want to end with this right quick. I, 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 you know, I mentioned the last two weeks and, and, and uh, just pray, preaching and going to, to hospital rooms to watch dear saints go be with the Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's homecoming, but yet it can be pretty tough. And, and as we were doing Carrie Allison's funeral on Wednesday, I was reminded of a, a, of a, something that took place when Carrie's husband Thurman was sick with cancer. And, uh, I'd preached that morning here. He was in Temple Scott and White. I, I went from here straight to, to Temple to be with Thurman because Thurman was a soul winner, man. He was a spiritual mentor in many ways. I just went to spend some time with him because I know he wasn't uh, going to be here too much longer. So I went and saw him. I'm exhausted. I'm empty spiritually. I'm empty emotionally. I'm physically tired. I get in my car to go back, and I remember I got pulled over by a policeman. Golly, that's great. And uh, he didn't ticket me, thank goodness. I don't even, I guess it was speeding. And uh, I got back home, got through the rest of Sunday, woke up Monday morning. Monday was going to be my day off. And so I needed to replenish, man. I needed to get the tanks back full. And I got a call, and uh, this call was from a church member, and they said, Hey, Mark, uh, there's so-and-so. I know you don't know them. They, they're acquainted with somebody in our church, and uh, that he's 60 years old. He's dying of lung cancer, and uh, the family is wanting a pastor to come see him. And, and I said, Well, I, you know, I'm thinking this is my day off. I'll probably do it. And it was Valentine's Day. I thought, well, I'll just do it later on in the week. And then, you know, I was pretty selfish about that. But I was tired. I mean, I'm, I'm honest. And uh, and so I, uh, I then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit started putting this check in my spirit. You need to go over there. You need to call and go over there. I thought, oh, it doesn't mean I'm always wanting to do what God wants me to do. But I knew I needed to do this. So I called him up and I said, yeah, could you come over? Blah, blah, blah. I said, OK, I'll go over there. Open the door, and there was more oxygen. If a match were to go off, I think this house is gone. Uh, and uh, I go in there and go into the bedroom, and the family's kind of up against the wall, and they took a chair, and they pushed it up right next to him. Uh, later, they were going to tell me that he hates pastors. And so I pushed the chair up there, and so I'm up there by him, and I'm looking at this guy who's got, you know, in his nose, but also the mask. I mean, he's just trying to get air to exist. And he says this, he says, you tell me how I can know for sure that I am saved. Well, that's an open door. I just shared with him the, the love of God and the gospel. And I'll never forget it. He said this, and he pointed at his family that were along the wall. And he says, you don't understand. He said, I've been a successful businessman and I've neglected them. How do I ever make up for that? I said, well, you know, basically, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Other than you can give your life to Christ. And so we prayed, and I, and I left, and, and, and it was, like I said, it was Valentine's Day. It was Monday. Now I'm super tired, and uh, Pam and I go out to eat. We were eating at Geno's here in town. I'll never forget, I got the phone call that Thurman had just passed away. Oh, man. You know, I knew it was coming, but, you know, it doesn't matter how sick somebody gets, man, still at that moment. And so uh, we left, and, uh, and uh, it was a few days later that this other guy passed away. And so I'm going to be doing these two funerals within this time. Thurman's was, was glorious, just what God had done. 
And I show up, uh, I'd met with the family briefly, but I show up, I didn't know the guy other than I'm going to be doing his funeral. And uh, so I, I talked to his wife, and she said, i got to tell you something. She said, these last days were the greatest days of his life. And I thought, God, despite one saint gloriously going home, you brought another brother into the kingdom on his deathbed. Only the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes that possible. Some of you today need to know that resurrection power is real to you. 